You're listening to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, episode 192, The Book of Life, Mustachioed Gaston. Welcome to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, the number one place to get your animation fix with animation addicts just like you. Each episode, we dive into the wonderful world of animation featuring Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, and everything in between. From hilarious discussions and movie reviews to interviews with industry insiders, this show's mission is to brighten your day through our love of animation. So hop on your nerdy couch, grab some snacks, and get ready to hang out with your animation besties because it's time to dive into today's episode. Welcome, everyone, to the Animation Addicts Podcast. My name is Chelsea Robson. And I'm Morgan Stradling. And today we have a fabulous guest who is on our Diamond Level patrons. This is Chad Cush. Everyone say hey. Hey. Hello. (laughs) Oh, welcome back, everybody. And for the first time, Chad. (laughs) So, Chad, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into animation. We're excited to have you here. I am turning 33 this uh, week. Oh, happy birthday. Happy birthday. Thank you. I am sort of a freelance 3D modeling designer. Um, So Mason can kind of relate to that. And I got into animation when I was a kid and my mother subjected me to the classic Disney films. Um, Good mom. Good on her. Very good mom. Love her. Uh, <laughs> Love her. <laughs> I, I can vividly uh, remember seeing Beauty and the Beast in the theaters. And according to my sister, when it got to the end, I was crying and said, please rewind it again. I want to watch it. So, <gasps> but yeah, ever since then, I have loved animation. My favorite uh, Disney film of all time is The Little Mermaid. I will watch that at least two or three times a year. And it just it just kind of went from there. Well, you are in the perfect place, Chad. We are so excited to have you because today we have a fantastic animated film that we are reviewing. We are going to be reviewing The Book of Life in anticipation of Dia de los Muertos, which is coming up in a few weeks. So we figured it'd be a perfect time to do that film in honor of that holiday. But first, we need to do something special, which we do for all of our guests, a fun game called Catch and Fire. Well then, how about a quick round of Catch and Fire? Catch and Fire? You mean me? You're the only one with enough courage. Whoa. <laughs> Chad is so excited about this. <laughs> oh, I love the Swan Princess and I love this segment. So, oh, yes. <laughs> oh, I love it. Basically, for everybody who is brand new, the catch and fire questions we go through a rapid a series of rapid fire questions in order to get to know our guests so that you the listener can have a better understanding of who they are, what makes them tick, and so that you can know, you know, this is you know, these are just the questions that everybody needs to be answered when you come on the Animation Addicts podcast with the Rotoscopers. So, Chad, are you ready? Yes. Oh, bring it on. <laughs> All right. What is the first animated movie you remember seeing? Beauty and the Beast. What was your favorite cartoon growing up? Darkwing Duck. Favorite animated movie? Oh, that's so hard. Okay, we'll go with uh, Disney, so The Little Mermaid. 
Who is your favorite animator or artist? Don Bluth. Ooh. Classic animation or CGI? Oh, classic, 110%. Favorite animation studio? Studio Ghibli. Disney or Pixar? Oh, Disney. Laika or Studio Ghibli? Oh, Studio Ghibli. All right. Songs or no songs? Oh, songs, definitely. Oh, good for you. All right. Summer releases or winter releases? Winter. Stitch or Tinkerbell? Oh, Stitch. Tiana or Mulan? No. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I'm going to go with Tiana. Who would win in a fight? King Fergus or Stoic the Vast? King Fergus. Snow White or Sleeping Beauty? Sleeping Beauty. All right, Chad. Here is the most important and final question. Which would you rather watch? Mulan 2 or Norm of the... Norm of the North. <laughs> oh. Well, as I've never heard of the second one, I'm going with Mulan too. Oh. They're both so bad. <laughs> Mulan 2, I don't think is that bad compared to Norm of the North. I think it should be refer- Return of Jafar 2 and Norm of the North. <laughs> Norm of the okay. North is so bad. In regards to Disney sequels, I- I'm almost going to say... Yeah, yeah, I'd go with like Return of Jafar as well. Actually, no, I'd put Mulan 2 as worse than Return of Jafar because at least with Return of Jafar, that was an introduction to the animated series. So it kind of made sense and it wasn't a terrible, terrible. (laughs) It wasn't double terrible. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) These. Well, congratulations, Chad. You have made it through Catch and Fire. Woo! 52 out of 52. Well done. And with that, let's All jump right. into our main discussion on the Book of Life. So before we dive into our main discussion, let's set the stage here and talk about some of the basic key players that were involved in making this film. This, of course, comes from Box Office Mojo, IMV, Wikipedia. So the studio is Real FX Creative Studios out of Texas, which is pretty darn cool. Also 20th Century Fox. The director was Jorge Gutierrez. The release date was October 17th, 2014. Budget was an estimated $50 million. And worldwide, it did just under $100 million at $99.8 million, which is actually very, very surprising to me because I thought this film did better than that. But again, it didn't come from this big flagship studio like a Disney, Pixar, or DreamWorks. Um, so, you know, we will definitely talk about that. It's kind of a bummer. It did. It didn't, wasn't a total flop. However, it, I'm sure with all the marketing expenses and everything, uh, probably wasn't, wasn't a uh, huge success for the studio. So before we dive into that, 
Um, I want to talk about Real FX because that's a very interesting studio. They don't really typically have a lot of films that they have done. So I just wanted to give you a few just so you guys are aware. But it's this up and coming studio out of Texas, and they really don't have that many films. It seems like they were doing a lot in the early 2010s. They did a film called Cirque du Soleil Worlds Away, which obviously was a Cirque du Soleil type film. And then their their main flagship, like their first film that was like really just them was Free Birds, which I guess due oh, next no. month for Thanksgiving. <laughs> and when I first heard about that, it just seemed like a total cash grab to be like, yes, every year people will play our film because how many Thanksgiving films are there? Not that many. It's going to be us. <laughs> and then they followed it in 2014 with the Book of Life. And really since then, they have not released any feature length films, which is surprising considering they kind of were this up and coming studio and they just never really got the steam and the momentum that I guess I expected them to get, you know, when I was seeing this in real time in 2013, 2014. They have had work since. They've bit, they've done contract work where they're a studio that, per, you know, does the animation for certain segments of a film or either the entire film. Um, usually there's a lot of different studios that help out for some of these films, but like Rock Dog, Sherlock Gnomes, Ugly Dolls, and Scoop. So they've stayed busy, but they haven't really done too much of their own currently there's one upcoming in 2021 called rumble so i imagine that was actually supposed to come out this year but maybe was pushed back a bit but anyway just wanted to get the stage for real effects what's interesting they i mean as i'm looking at their schedule they do have a book of life too in the works yes mm-hmm. sorry <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and it seems as though there may be a third as well depending yeah yeah interesting um, I loved The Book of Life. Apparently, it was kind of planned out as a trilogy because the guy who made it wanted to tell the stories of each of the characters, like uh, what Maria was doing over all those years, and then Joaquin, and it all just kind of was supposed to culminate, like, at the end of the film, you know, they're all back together, but each of them has kind of their own little journey to getting to that point. Mm-hmm. At least that's what yeah. I... That's what I read. Interesting. Yeah, this was Manolo's story, and the other ones were to focus on each one of the other characters. So it says it's in development, so we shall see. So I guess this didn't do so terribly poorly that we'll never see those intended sequels again. Jorge Gutierrez is a very busy guy. Um, he's he's great. We've interacted with him a bit on Twitter, and he's always just a very positive force in the animation industry. So... It's really crazy mm-hmm. to think that this movie came out in 2014. I feel like it was just a few years ago that what? it had come out. And it's, yeah. it's six years since it came out, which is crazy. I remember when this first came out, Chelsea and I were really big into the YouTube channel. And we did some videos on the Book of Life. Like they had a Hot Topic line that they had done. And so I went and tried on some of the outfits and got got some footage for that and put that on the YouTube channel. And yeah, I just remember being really excited for this one and looking forward to this one. And now that I've seen it again, this was only the second time that I'd seen it. It was a very enjoyable film. I, it was surprisingly just quick paced and the characters and the animation and the art style were just beautiful. And I'm really excited to Mm -hmm. dive in and talk about those more. 
Yeah. The production of this is, it's closer to my heart, I guess, just because I do remember when it, when we first saw the, the first trailer for this and everyone, it just really just stopped everyone Mm -hmm. because it was just so different and the colors were so vibrant and the whole, everything about it just screamed beauty, like beautiful art, art. And as far as production goes, you know, Jorge Gutierrez, he was, before this, he had worked at Nickelodeon on El Tigre, The Adventures of Manny Rivera. Um, I actually got the art book for this because I knew that he wanted one of his main things. He's like, I always read these art books and it just never looks as good in the movie. But I really want this movie to basically be our art book and have exactly the art that we were that we would want to see in a book. And the book itself is really fun because it's actually written by him too. So he has a lot of his personality that goes into the, to the narration of the art book. So like after reading it, there's lots of points in time where he's kind of obsessed. He himself has a mustache and he's kind of obsessed with, with, with mustaches <laughs> as we can see through this whole thing. That explains it. Because he's just like, as my my wife loves a mustachioed man, <laughs> and I was like, okay. Um, so he he's really fun, and he's uh, he was always very um, as as Morgan mentioned ba- back in the day when we were doing a lot of talking about his movie. Uh, he was always very um, responsive whenever we reached out to him. And I loved that whole section of time, and we did some interviews with them, and because. Uh, Real FX was a brand new studio. I remember working with the the head of their marketing and she was just super excited how they had just gotten uh, Fox had just uh, signed on to do the distribution. And so it was like this brand new thing that they were going to start com- on the coming up, you know. So I was really excited for them when this was coming out. And when I saw it, I I felt like in what I was expecting as far as art wise, I felt like they hit that right on the nail, right on the head. Like they, they just got the beauty out of this that I, I wanted. So I was really happy when it came to that aspect of this film. You know, can I, at the risk of having Disney fans um, <clears throat> come and pummel me, <laughs> I'm going to say, I think this was artistically better than Coco. Ooh, I wondered oh. when this would come up. You cannot well, it has to because, like, you know, everyone compares the two, and I, I don't think they can be compared because, kind of, like she was saying, like the art style in this is just so unique. And I, when I watched Coco. I'm not comparing the two, but I always kind of felt like Coco was trying too hard. Mm-hmm. But you're comparing the two. <laughs> I am. So, okay. So yeah, Welcome I'm to our segment where we compare the book of life with Coco. Proceed. <laughs> it was inevitable. It was going but, to happen. <laughs> okay. All right. At least we're being honest about it. Uh, but yeah, I, I think the art style in the book of life is a lot more interesting than it was with Coco because I feel, and maybe that's just because Pixar is always like pushing, I don't know, pushing their visuals in every film that they do. But I kind of liked the, the sort of blocky and uh, you, I guess interesting color tones everyone had in the book of life. It it felt more, 
I don't know. It felt more realistic to me than the kind of overly saturated colors in Coco. Just to me personally, I, that's such a weird thing to say, but, but yeah, no, I think you're right. I think they made some bolder choices and moves here. It kind of feels like some of the characters are made out of wood blocks and, you know, it's not your typical Disney Pixar even DreamWorks sort of character where they're just big eyes and well, they all do. Some do have bigger eyes, but you know, <laughs> uh, it's, it's, yeah, they just have a unique style and this takes away from it where it's not something you would expect. It's not like you're trying to recreate something that's been done before, but instead we're going to do something that has mm -hmm. never been done before. And I think that they achieved that very well. And yeah, the comparisons, you, they, you can't deny them. So these movies were announced and in development around the same time. And this one came yeah. out in 2014 and Coco came out in 2016. So there was always this, this shock of, oh, two movies that are about Dia de los Muertos. Oh, what will that do? This is so horrible. But really, there are tons of movies about Halloween. There's tons of movies about Christmas. There's tons of movies about all boxing, all sorts of genres and topics. And so it was just happened to be happenstance that they were doing two of these movies at the same time on a holiday that really isn't so world renowned. And it's not just been done before, like a Christmas movie, if you will, you know. And so obviously, for that reason, the comparison's come because they're two animated films about Dia de los Muertos and they both kind of um they're totally they're they're very similar but different you know um oh, yeah. Coco spends a lot more time in the world of the dead and this one they really hit it pretty quick there's not those relationships developed with the family members in the book of life, you know, he's just there. Oh, hi, grandma. Hi, this person. Hi, 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 hi. And then off he goes to the next stage, ultimately to bring him back to life. In Coco, the majority of the film is set in the world of the dead. And he, he gets to really meet those characters and understand their struggles and what they're going through and his ancestors. And so I thought, you know, that definitely sets them apart, but I could see how Pixar being the second one to the game during this time you know, it's one thing to have a movie come out five years later or 10 years, but when they're both in development, there's obviously a lot of concern of crap. You know, will our movie be like that movie? And, you know, it's inevitable when you're talking about this, that it seems like the natural thing to do is like, well, let's go to this land of the dead. Cause that's for me is the most exciting part and was of both of these movies. I thought it was fun to explore and to see and how the world of the dead actually wasn't the, this, you know, ghost desolate place that people may think it is. It was a happy place. It was a colorful place in both of them. And then there's the land of the forgotten, obviously, which is that's where it, wah, it's wah. dark and sad. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I think they definitely have their pros and cons, but it's just interesting that they were in development at the exact same time. Side note, remember when Disney tried to copyright the name? D &D? Yes. Yes. Thank you. I was wondering if you guys are going to bring that up. Uh, nice try, Disney, but no. <laughs> I still can't believe they did that. I was like, are you serious? I remember really? because their wow. movie was called Day of the Dead. Uh -huh. That's one of the reasons why they did it. And then they got so much backlash and yeah, they changed it to Coco. A little better. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god. Which gosh. I guess in context makes sense, but they could have definitely gotten a better mm -hmm, name. Mm -hmm. It was just I just thought that was amazing because you know it was just some intern that was just like, I mean, it's on my checklist. <laughs> just oh. doing what they're told. 
Just good you time. Know, uh, on the note of the whole concept of both the lands, when I was rewatching this, it kind of occurred to me like the the concept is is if you're always remembered, you're always in the land of the of the the colorful land, land of the remembered. But if you're for, thank you, <laughs> that left my mind for some reason. Um, but if you're forgotten, you end up in the land of the forgotten. But so, like, what if? Your all your relatives end up dead. Are, I mean, aren't they all going to end up there anyway? Because like you're never going to consistently be remembered over and over and over again. Because I mean, it depends on how good or how bad you were. So okay, oh come on. <laughs> so like, I was kind of wondering how that worked too. Because like, if you're a genuinely good person and you go to the land of the remembered, great, wonderful. But if your entire existence is based on people in the land of the living remembering you, then you're kind of screwed either way. So Depends how like... notorious you were. If you were a right. worldwide <laughs> supervillain, I mean. I can name names, but you will never, oh, okay. you will so, never be well, forgotten. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> because you are just etched in time. But I think for a lot of, this kind of goes back to family history and, you know, why it's important to, to remember those that came before us and to honor them mm-hmm. and to keep those records because we can learn so much from them. And it is really sad if you don't keep those records or you just don't care, or you just move on. They, they truly are forgotten. And um, I've actually done some family history recently, and my line goes all the way back to Scottish kings. And so, you know, once wow. you hit a Scottish king or any sort of king or royalty, they they kept good records. <laughs> so right. it goes back to, I think, like 600 AD, which is insane. Whew. So, it, but, you know, you think of people who didn't have that ability and their lines are forgotten just after a couple generations. And that's really what this holiday is all all about is just to constantly, or just all, at least on this day, have them in your hearts and to remember them and to not let their legacy die. Because you can think how as, as you move forward with each new generation, that it's harder to remember the generation that you didn't personally know, or mm-hmm. the one that's two, 300 years ago. And I really, I really like this holiday and this tradition because it's all about just honoring and celebrating all of those who came before as much as you can. Obviously, the ones that you personally knew will, will get a bit more, will mean more to you because you have that relationship with them. But in theory, mm-hmm. that's what this is about, is that you just want to keep keep them all alive. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And I wish this was a more prominent holiday because... It, I feel so cheesy saying it, but it really is true. I mean, I love the fact that there's a culture that remembers its ancestors Mm -hmm. because like you were saying, you can just learn so much from the past. And I I can remember talking to my uh, grandmother before she died and she would tell me stories about when she was a kid and what was going on in the world and all that stuff. And I was just kind of transfixed, kind of thinking, how would you live through that? Mm -hmm. Or or how, how does society like thrive in a time like that. I mean, it, even now, like when we're like old and wrinkled and shriveled up, we're going to be saying, well, we lived through a pandemic. <laughs> um, you have no idea what it was like, but it sucked. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, it, it's just so important. I think it's, it's something that more people should 
embrace and I I I because I'm I'm all about history and all that stuff. It's it's so fascinating and it's it would help society so much in so many regards if people just didn't like say, oh yeah, I'm gonna go and listen to these crappy stories about things that have no relevance to me in this day and age when in fact it probably does. So yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Ah. No, I I one hundred percent agree. It's it's also, I mean, for me personally, um, my, you know, my, if you go back six generations in my family, they literally like built a town. So <laughs> like wow. the, the idea of that has always been in my head of like, what have you done, Chelsea? Like they, they had to deal with no air conditioning in Arizona and they dug wells they built they literally built a town and you are not doing all that much but at the same time like i you know the the legacy of you come from a family of builders means how are you going to build so like realizing that and knowing that i can apply it in my life where i can and where i'm able um but it's also something that to be like you know i have it in me if i have to so i think mm-hmm. that's another reason why i feel like you know, these, this type of a holiday is something that everyone really should be more involved in rather than just like certain cultures too. So I appreciate, I appreciated the fact that both of these movies, both Coco and the book of life kind of tried to bring that up and in the, how the Mexican culture really does try to dive into that. But I think that Coco did have the upper hand in the fact that they came out later so that they could better understand who their audience was. Mm-hmm. I kind of felt like their audience in this one was more to gringos than necessarily to Latinos. Mm-hmm. Explain. The, the, the very beginning, how they come out and they're teaching these stories to children who aren't Mexican. And so in that way, it's like, okay, we're defining the audience as we're just, we're teaching people who don't know anything about this culture, mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. this culture. Mm-hmm. And with Coco, I believe that they were, instead of uh, teaching somebody else about the culture, I think that they were just focusing within the culture and explaining a little bit as you went along if needed. Yeah. Show, don't and, tell. Yeah. And so with Coco, you could definitely see it was like the biggest movie in South America, like for years to come and to go. And it just, because it, it more celebrated them as opposed to showing someone else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can see that for sure. From that perspective, someone in Latin America, it's a movie about us and about our culture. And this was in a way, but, but the way that it was framed, but it was more of a footnote. Yeah. I don't know, like jumping into the movie, like this, there are a couple of the main things I felt were a little bit the dialogue and a little bit of the, a couple of the um, plot points. I just felt were a little lazy as far as trying to come up with a plot, I guess. Um, so, for example, the discussion on the bullfighting situation. I lived in Spain for a couple of months right after high school and I was with my brother and we were like, oh, let's just take advantage of everything and go to all of the, all of the opportunities, you know, that, you know, to dive into the culture. So we went to a bullfight and do I, did I really enjoy it as something that I would want to do again? No. Um, (laughs) but I'm also like, I try not to put judgment on other people's 
favorite things. So, okay, whatever. But I felt like as a gringa watching this movie, I felt like that storyline, the confrontation between the um, the pros and the against for, for bullfighting played more of a part in the movie than the celebration of the culture itself. So I, I feel like that was a lost thing, like as far as instead of focusing on this this other uh, controversy that most gringos, gringas don't really understand because very few people have actually been to a, a bullfight or even have looked into it necessarily. Um, it's just kind of like a, okay, most people don't have a point of view from the beginning. And so you're just kind of like, I guess that's the point of view I should have. I don't know. So I don't know. I just, I felt like that was something that took away from the final result as far as if you were looking to bring people in and make them love all things about your culture. Including killing both. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, if, if I can see that perspective at the same time. I think society has progressed to a point where killing a bull at the end of a bullfight isn't necessarily something that people are a fan of anymore or a lot of people support. But then again, there's lots of parts of cultures that that are different than our own and they have different expectations and, and things that happen. So it's very tricky, but it definitely came from a Western perspective that the majority of this film is where, which is, you know, Mexico is Western, but it felt very like U S where it's this looking down on the bulls, uh, killing of the bulls. You know, I just thought, uh, I, I had forgotten that they, this, that was even a plot point. And as I was watching it, I was like, wait, are they going to kill the bull at the end of this? Are they just going to just pretend bullfighting is this amazing experience? And no, they, they, they really hit on that. So I did appreciate that they called that out because I think sometimes when you have seen bullfighting in other films, you don't like, they, they just cut that part out and they kind of just sweeten it and make it um, just happy and fun. And look, it's just a bull running around with a red cape and you have to get out of the way. And <laughs> right. that's yeah, not what it's I about. That's as far as it went. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. No, it's super gruesome and not at all something that, like I said, it's not something that I'm like wanting to put my money toward. Like I'm not going to pay to see that again. Um, I don't want to focus on the things that you think are a negative in your own culture if I don't know who your culture is to begin with. I want to love your culture from whatever of all the good things and let's focus there before we talk about things that maybe aren't the greatest. So as a as a gringo, gringa, looking at this, um, I feel like it was just, that was a, a thing that based on specifically, like if you're comparing these things for, like Coco, they just focused on, this is just the story of a relatable family that doesn't have any negatives in it other than, you know, the creating connections with your own past, you know? So it's like something that everybody really relates to already versus over here where it's like, Oh, we're going to shine light on this thing that you don't really know much about, but we're going to shine light over here. Okay. I mean, it's, it wasn't bad, but it was also, I feel like it was a loss in, um, as far as a reason for people to really just love this film. Mm-hmm. I thought another interesting correlation was the music is bad <laughs> sort of storyline. <laughs> it's like, really, how many times does a guy with a guitar have to be? <laughs> villainized by his culture and his family and uh it just you know it's just interesting how these films are not are done in parallel in two completely different 
two completely different studios and the guitar i'm a singer i want to be a singer storyline still crept up you know and so that's what they're able to do with manolo (laughs) is they take him as this guy who's supposed to be this big macho man which uh, being a bullfighter essentially is and he instead i just want to sing you know not to the extent that we see in coco per se but he he definitely loves that outlet and he's very good at it and it ultimately is what gets him the girl and i've actually been reading the book edith edith hamilton's mythology i read it initially in high school and i always loved it i always loved the greek myths and how just the stories and the characters that come out of it and you know the the gods love to toy around with mortals basically and play around and get involved with what's happening with the mortals and i really saw that in this film and mm-hmm. it that that's the setup is this is all about just a game that two two gods essentially are are wanting to settle a bet. And I really like those characters a lot. I love yeah. La Muerte and Zibalba. They are just two really cool characters. They're very different from each other and they're lovers, which is very interesting. And you know, one is the head of the land of the remembered and one is the head of the land of the the forgotten which you know you can you can kind of make that correlation with like zeus being in olympus and uh hades Hades being being, yeah and um you know how they always make it seem like in at least in disney's hercules that hades doesn't enjoy being down in the in you know the underworld when in reality um it it wasn't necessarily a a good or bad place it just was what it was and that's the lot that he pulled and he didn't hate it you know um but in both of these situations disney's hercules and this film it's like that's that place is is no good and neither of them want it and they're trying to become you know go to the better place in their mind which is the land of the remembered so i thought that was interesting and they really do um because there's this mystical element of these gods and that it drives the plot and it kind of makes it a little bit contrived in a way but i still thought it was fun and i think they actually are probably the better characters of the film for me like i really enjoyed them a lot yeah well, they've got probably the most defined personalities mm-hmm. out of, I mean, if you look at like the main three kids or characters, I guess, they're not really that interesting. Right. I mean, Maria is like, and I'm not being there. I'm just kind of so tired of the, oh, I'm a woman, I'm empowered thing. Oh, yeah, I thought, the same, I thought the exact same thing. Yeah. Oh, it's like I we mean, can't have a girl who's just a girl anymore. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was like, okay, so there's a lot of macho, manly fighting going on in this yippee yippee kaye. But here we go. <laughs> it was everywhere. I laughed so much when I rewatched this. I'm like, really? Are we going here? Like yeah. mustaches and <laughs> and macho proposals and the girl like oh men really right no yeah no I definitely agree I feel like not to say that it's right or wrong I just feel like feminist dialogue is lazy dialogue it well or it's yeah, just overdone it, at this point it's a very much overdone maybe not when this first came out but in I, I still can't believe it was 2014 but. <laughs> Because I thought it was like 2016, but yeah, it's it's so prevalent in everything now. It's just like, oh, really? Are we going here? But 
It's it's no. it just doesn't. If they were to have come up with something else, yeah, it's just I just feel like it's lazy nowadays. So it it does rub you wrong. This is like, all right, come on. <laughs> no, it's hard because I feel like it's almost expected, and this is the only way a female can be portrayed nowadays. You can't be a Bella Swan. You can't be a damsel in distress. You can't be. You know, mm-hmm. you have to be tough and assertive and this and which is fine and that's great and i'm glad that our female role models have evolved that way but that doesn't mean that all the other ones you know for example cinderella who is kind and she is generous and she is just gracious in everything that she does you know like how she for a time was almost looked down upon because of who she was and how she lived her life but a, a studio wants to just make a film that has a girl that's maybe in more of a traditional role or one of these roles that we'd seen a lot of times in the past, it's they'd get criticized for it. Right. <laughs> and now yeah, here we are, we're do. criticizing the lead because she's too much of what we have seen. She's too feminist. She's too empowered. <laughs> and so it was like such a hard place. Yeah, but in it's our like, case, we're just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But in our case, we're just saying it because it's so prevalent, prevalent now. And we're just sick of it. It's mm-hmm. not like, like, uh, I mean, I love your analogy of Cinderella. I mean, in person, on a personal level, I love Cinderella. Mm-hmm. She is like one of my favorite Disney princesses because she doesn't like out. The thing is, she doesn't outright state her strong personality mm-hmm. traits. She just kind of lives them, mm-hmm. and that's what I wish. I, that's really what I wish I could see in films today. Like they throw it in your face. Mm-hmm. It has to be said that this is how the character is. They don't just express it. It has to be verbally said to you in so many different cases, I guess. Yeah. Does that, that makes any sense? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in your, if you're looking at Coco, Coco does have a small bit of that. But it's only like one sentence where it talks about, well, she didn't have time to, to sit around and cry about a, a walkaway musician. No. <laughs> and so it's like <laughs> the way that they did it, it's, it felt a lot more, uh, Latin, because <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of really strong Latin women out there, you know. So it's like, you, it's just funny to, uh, how they did it, but it also wasn't. It didn't have the same feeling as this one felt. It was just like very standardized feminist dialogue. Yeah, and even yeah. some of the plot points just felt a little contrived, you know. Where Maria, she's this animal lover at the very beginning. We're introduced to her where she's saving the pig, and then it turns out that. <laughs> You know, there's this love triangle going on, and one of them goes into a profession that's very macho with he's a bullfighter where he has to kill the bulls. And so that puts him in a weird place because he doesn't want to do that. But then by not doing that, it helps him impress the girl. You know, and then we have the other macho man who is your typical war hero, but has really only achieved that through the manipulation of Zabalba and him cheating, you know. And but the problem I had with with this love triangle kind of shifting into that was that it just, it wasn't a real fair fight. I guess there was, we were never rooting for Joaquin. It was, it was always the Manolo show. I mean, there was nothing really empowering, not empowering, but there was nothing really motivating or inspiring about Joaquin. You know, he was given this power. He, he did really, so it's like, okay, all this stuff that he has done, he hasn't really done on his own. And then at the very end, or when he proposes, he just kind of proposes. He's super self-involved. Yeah. He's just like all into, into himself and, you know, expects her to, Hands are not a grab. <laughs> expects her to say yes. And, 
it, I just never thought that that was really fair. Like clearly it shows the wisdom of La Muerte because she was able to figure out who would be the better match and place her bet on that. But I feel like I would have mm-hmm. enjoyed it uh, maybe a little more if, if it was actually a fair fight to see like who actually is going to win this rather than the one who's cheating. Well, the groundwork was there for him to have more personality too. I mean, like, you know, in the very beginning, we see him looking at the statue of his dad. Mm-hmm. And it would have been really nice if they had expanded on that because I felt like that was probably, I mean, that was part of his motivation to be a warrior because, like, his dad died fighting the big villain of the 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 film. And, like, okay, so I'm the son of a war hero and I want to follow my dad's footsteps. That can be a very compelling and very gripping story if done right. But they just didn't. Yeah, they just didn't really do anything with yeah. it. So instead it's handed to him and he doesn't have to fight for really for anything. And so he's not yeah. an enjoyable character in that way. Like he was just like, oh, really this guy again? You know, he's like more of a Gaston. Um, yeah, and clearly that's what yes. they're definitely a Gaston. <laughs> Especially with the must- he's a mustached Gaston. <laughs> yes, there were the bimbets. The bimbets were yes, there. The girls. Yes, thank you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so you know, you're, you're not rooting for a girl to get get with a guy like that. So no. <laughs> Now, was it, what, it, didn't he like say yeah cooking and cleaning and it, is that what you think a girl is for? right <laughs> uh, yeah like yeah major guest on that's that's a good analogy a little wife well, massaging my yeah. feet while the little ones play on the floor with the dogs we'll, we'll have we'll six have or seven, seven. dogs <laughs> no bell strapping boys like me boys like me <laughs> oh. oh good times so one thing about the the characters in this, and I think that that does play also into how much you enjoy the characters a little bit, um, is the the cast. And we have for for Manolo, we have Diego Luna, who is also a Mexican, and Zoe Saldana. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what she, her her father is Dominican and Haitian, and her mother is okay. Puerto Rican with Lebanese ancestry. Oh, interesting, nice. Um, and then. <laughs> a bit of everything. And then you have like Channing Tatum as Joaquin. And <laughs> I, <laughs> on the one hand, I kind of can see why they were looking for some type of big name actor. Uh, it's a small studio. And so they're looking for any type of big name that will help propel this in any way because he- oh, we need we need people to see this film. And so we need people who are already out there promoting themselves to promote us as well. So when you're looking at a lot of castings, most of the time that plays a huge part in specifics. And of course you had to have Manolo as the, as the heart of the character. Um, They had him as of authentic Mexican. And then you have Channing Tatum who, I mean, I'm not exactly sure why he was, so big at this time but he really was like he was in a lot of movies around this time and a lot of animated movies so i mean he was on a roll so i guess he had really well, this was good his first animated film i think oh really mm-hmm. okay so i guess that got him into it but i mean he later on he's he's in the lego batman movie he is head of smallfoot uh 
you're, it's just interesting. Like you've got a lot of things in there um, that he was able to jump in soon thereafter. And I don't know if that played and played a part in the fact that it, like he just didn't feel like he fit. Uh, but that's kind of how I felt. Like I just felt like he was the character that you didn't really ever care about because he also didn't really fit in with the whole culture. Maybe. I don't know. Am I right or am I wrong? I, I don't know. I, I didn't mind him. I, I, I thought he did a pretty good job, but then I wasn't really looking uh, into this aspect of the film, I guess. Yeah, we uh-huh. we get a voicemail uh, later on that really talks about this, and she brings up a really good point about why this this casting really affected her. So I think it's important to see her perspective. But I'm looking at the cast as a whole, and as a whole, it really is a very Hispanic cast, other than characters mm-hmm. that were a little, I guess... Um, ethnic neutral you know where we have christina applegate doing mary beth who was the the redhead tour guide at the very beginning you know that makes sense which to be honest i thought it was zoe zeldania because she turns into her at the end so i thought it was interesting uh-huh. that they yeah, they didn't too. get I, I honestly thought it was her this whole time so um <laughs> when i looked at this i'm like oh okay so that you know and then they have um Ice Cube is the candle maker, and he's sort of this, you know, character. <laughs> That's who that is. Oh, okay. I was oh. trying to figure out who that was when I was rewatching. I was like, I know that guy from somewhere. What is it? Okay. So, but uh, a lot, and then Zabalba is Ron Perlman. You know, those are kind of the characters that aren't necessarily of Hispanic origin. But if, as I'm going down the list, you know, Trejo, Alessandro, um, like there's tons of people that are definitely. I think they did a really good job casting this. And I, I think it's important that we have to remember that Jorge Gutierrez was the director and the writer for this film. And, you know, I obviously had a, a big say in who got cast. And so I think he definitely, you know, made, you know, diversity in films is very important to him. And so I think he really did the best that he could with everything that was everyone that was cast and did a really good job. And, you know, Tanning Tatum really is the one that, that stands out as sort of like, well, why are you having this white guy for this Mexican character? But, you know, I, I have a feeling it was probably studio pressure for some reason yeah. or another. Maybe there was some sort of contract that they had. Yeah, that seems unlikely, but you know how sometimes they have contracts going like, well, if he does this movie, then he has to do another movie for us, you know? Um, and so sometimes mm-hmm. these guys, these people kind of get shoehorned into roles because they have contractual obligations with the studios to do X number of films. But I don't know the situation. I really tried to look up some different interviews where Jorge Gutierrez talked about it and he doesn't, he doesn't really highlight it. And, and it's interesting that 2014, this is sort of a different world than 2020 where yeah, 2020, this is really at the forefront of making sure of having uh, diverse voices in all aspects of film production and or just it just in life you know in general in the production and in the cast and all these things um but i think they did a really good job for the most part and you know he he did what he could with his uh mustache (laughs) (laughs) oh my mustache my mustachioed man no jorge gutierrez is like He's really obsessed with his mustache. Ew, but the mustache Morgan... made him feel like a 40-year-old guy. It just didn't make it feel like, <laughs> you know, so when they grow up and it's like, I thought that was the dad initially, you know, I'm like, ew. Um, I'm not true. into it. <laughs> you feel... If you're looking to, uh, 
add a couple years, guys, then go for the mustache. Yeah. But if you're looking to take them off, I mean, that's it's all up to get the baby face. Get the, I yeah. can attest to this. I look about 20 years younger when I shave off all mm-hmm, my facial mm-hmm. hair. I mean, case I, in point. Case in point. But yeah. to, to kind of continue on the whole uh, voice <laughs> casting for, you know, the theme of the film, uh, you know, I, I really appreciate it when they actually do uh, cast actual Latinas or Mexicans or, you know, to fit the theme. I've never understood why the voice industry, it's almost like the, fil- I guess it's almost like the film industry. If they're going to make something that's based on a culture, in a culture, you would think <laughs> they would just cast people who are of that culture. Right. Like I'm, I mean, with Mulan, look at Mulan. When they first announced it, they weren't going to use, if I remember correctly, they weren't going to use Asian actors to tell this particular story. And I'm like, well, why wouldn't you? It's a Chinese myth. Therefore, wouldn't you? Like for the live action or for the... For For the the live action. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. For the live action adaption. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was a big big to-do, I think, when they first announced Mm -hmm. it. Oh, that's interesting. So what else about this film that stands out to you? Um, so one of the things that I was thinking as I was watching it is actually pretty funny. I really liked a yeah. lot mm-hmm. of kind of the humor and the quips and there's, you know, that that random singing chorus that happens occasionally. And Thank yeah, you. <laughs> you know, and I, I really thought, wow, OK, this is a funny movie. And I found myself laughing and enjoying as I was watching it. So I really did appreciate that from from that perspective. Yeah. There are a lot of points where I I found myself laughing, especially like when it comes back to the kids in the, uh, with the tour director and they're just like, what? She dies. What kind of story is this? We're kids. kids. (laughs) (laughs) Like what? He dies too. What's up with Mexicans and death? Ah, (laughs) yeah. I thought the banter in this, uh, was pretty well, well paced i i like it when manolo is uh before he goes up and sings to maria um all his little dude buddies are like <laughs> oh, just the doing mariachi their thing. brothers yes the mariachi brothers yeah oh that was that was just pure gold i was like keep talking you're stupid and you're being silly and i love it and it's it's i i enjoyed that <laughs> Yeah, no, I I really enjoyed them. Even like the shape of all of them, like you had each individual one was a different shape, but and like all series like sizes of of round. <laughs> each one of them was just like one large round, one medium round, and one. So it looked like a snowman when they're like on top of each other. The art, the character design, I just loved every part of the look of this film, and I felt like it it played really well with the humor of it as well. I, I think my favorite character design was probably Zabalba. I love the fact that he's made of tar. Oh yeah. Like, oh yeah. Like I think that's such an interesting concept. Cause like, I think uh, she was made of sugar. Did they sugar. Yes. Cause okay. she's a sugar skull. Uh, she's like, <laughs> So like, and so knowing that, like, wow, uh, she's sugar and he's tar and they make out and nothing gets stuck. Okay. This is great. (laughs) I'm sorry. I had to say it. Well, they kiss like how many times in this film? Yeah. Their relationship is, is weird because he's such a a disgusting cheater that she's, uh, 
he's like created all these problems and he's not honest and he's not truthful but she's like into him and she doesn't care and at the very end it's just like hey let's get us you know i think she was mischievous she's a mischievous deity and i think she finds that kind of behavior appealing mm-hmm. because like you know i i'm pretty sure she thinks she's the superior one in this relationship <laughs> um and i mean I, she has I, the better gig she does she definitely has the better gig but i i appreciate zabalda because he's kind of mischievous and tries things and you just know he he's gonna go back to her i mean like to be honest he kind of gives off a hades vibe to me uh-huh oh uh, who she does because no oh, she, him. he gave so, off sorry, uh, i felt like discord in um oh, my little pony friend is magic like almost had the design of the face and the voice i i could have sworn it was nearly the exact oh. same character <laughs> I don't know why I didn't think of that. That's a real yes. Okay. There was one moment where uh, it kind of had a look of Aladdin and the genie, where uh, uh, Jafar is like makes him like pulls his mouth. He, he drops his mouth and he's yes. like, oh, and then he like hits it up and it, <laughs> it swims back up. There was a moment where like she does that to him, and I was like, that just feels very familiar to me Wait, was it her i thought it was the candle maker that shut his mouth oh it could have been that uh it was you know two of the, the deities uh yeah. but i believe it was uh zadalba that had his mouth open and so yeah. it was just like i feel like there's a lot of hades going on in here and there's a lot of other thing, other movies that are like making its way into this visually uh but i i enjoyed it one thing that i was not i don't think i enjoyed as much was the music really thoughts anyone i i liked i think the only song i really liked was when manolo sang to maria uh otherwise i didn't really care much for any of the 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 musical sequences yeah i thought they were kind of like a nice uh, an unexpected touch where some of these songs you definitely are familiar with and you know and it just had a latin flair to it which i thought was really fun and cool um, so yeah, I didn't necessarily hate the music. I thought it was fun and I was a fan. I wouldn't say I hated it, but I, I feel like when, when movies try to take popular songs and weave them into the, the dialogue of their film, it's gotta work really well. And even though some of the songs, the, the dialogue, like the words themselves worked really well, the, the fact that they were like pop songs didn't really fit the vibe I felt like it should have. And it did have the two main songs that were written for this, which was the apology song at the end and the song where he basically is saying he loves her. Mm-hmm. Um, so those were the two songs that were written for this, but everything else was another popular song that they just like adapted to this. But you could tell like with the music, they just, they brought in other elements that I don't feel made you feel like you were in this world. When he is singing to Maria when she's walking down the candlelit path, which, by the way, Manolo, nice touch. Um, <laughs> he's singing, I can't help falling in love with you. And I, I didn't feel like that was a romantic vibe at all. I was like, okay, they're using this song that's been used a hundred different times and right. very different things. So, yeah, I totally agree with that and i'm like come on you had that great number like five minutes before you couldn't have 
You couldn't have come up with something a little bit more original than that. I mean, I mean, it was probably would have been cheaper too. Is the thing? Yeah. <laughs> Like, uh, you're, you're taking all these songs and you're going to have to pay like artist fees or however that works nowadays. It's yeah. Just, they, right. they will have to pay somebody either way. So I feel like, yes, on the one hand, it, it may be a little bit more of a, of a challenge to f- make sure that you get a song that is like top notch, but that's why you hire top notch songwriters to write them. And otherwise you're you're dealing with the fact that these songs have other memories in people's heads that they're now bringing to this moment which it'll take you out of the moment and that's what happened to me mm-hmm. so i felt like yeah. that was my my issue with most of these songs cuz i was like as they're starting to play i'm like oh wait that is that other song oh yeah that's that song oh okay they're doing this instead of making me dig deeper into this world got to dig a little deeper hey yeah <laughs> love it oh good song so any other thoughts on this film i i think that the ending so one of my critiques of this film is that it just flies through way too fast so that's a good and a bad the pacing is is really good but in a in a bad sense where we don't really get to know very many people or you know we don't get to know the the family members that are dead or really explore that world and then i feel like this villain is just sort of tacked on at the end as a way to create drama and a big final battle he has nothing Very nothing to do with the plot he's just there like oh the medal i wanted the medal you know and so he's just going after this medal which comes to an end in a clash and it was just kind of a, a bummer like we there he was no threat he wasn't scary like it, it never seemed like he was ever going to win and so i just didn't really like the ending at all because it was just like okay this is pretty typical you know and but then you know have the sacrifice which is fine but ultimately it it kind of fizzles out at the end and goes to the very expected place where you're expecting it because again joaquin isn't ever a viable uh option for maria there's no circumstance i mean they try to play it off like i which didn't even really make sense to me was well you have to marry him for the town or whatever (laughs) just to keep him here whatever that (laughs) business was i was like this is And and it was only like they tried to make it very binary where she could only choose between these two childhood friends. Not like she'd been gone in a boarding school for who knows how many years. Probably made her own friends. I mean, I figured it was an all-girls school. But there are other fish in the sea. And so it was very clear that Joaquin (laughs) was not for her. And so when Manolo's out of the picture, it's like, well, this is is my only sucks. This is all I got. I guess I got to marry this guy. (laughs) It, It was just really contrived. I guess that's where I... I, I keep coming back yeah. to that word. I really liked the land of the dead or the, the remembered. Mm-hmm. I felt like every part in that, it was really fun also to meet his, his ancestors, even though you really didn't meet them. Uh, it just kind of hammered home the fact that he was supposed to be a, of, he was supposed to be a bullfighter and you had different varieties of bullfighters and, you know, all you can eat churros. <laughs> churros. Yes, I liked you. him. I really did like him. Um, and then the singer guy who's like, oh, he reminds me of me. I like him. Oh, they they crushed our dreams. Oh, hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Family pressure at its finest. <laughs> it's like, uh, okay. Um, so I I did feel like a lot of that was just fun. And uh, the whole ice cube bit was okay <laughs> we'll go with it all right and then the bullfight at the end okay great i mean 
fine. And it was just like, there was a lot of good things that I was like, everything moves really quickly. And like, okay, we are, we're summing it up by his, you know, he was never really afraid of being a bullfighter. He was just more of afraid of being himself. They had to tell us that. Okay. So, I mean, I, I, I have been really hammering on this movie as though I didn't enjoy it. But I remember the first time I, I watched it, I enjoyed it. And even this time, I liked it and I enjoyed it. There are just things that I feel like that could have made it better. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where I'm at with this. I'm just going to say ditto because you guys covered pretty much everything I was going to say. So let's just jump into what we would rate it. Chad, you're our guest of honor. Be our guest. I'm keep, I, I keep coming back I, to the, the Beauty of the Beast references. Oh, don't make me um, I, I would give this three stars because it wasn't horrible, but it wasn't great. But uh, uh-huh. I think I would just say it's fun. And, and I think it's a three star. I would say I would give it three and a half stars. Just, just slightly above. Um, I don't remember. I think I might've given it three and a half to four stars the first time I, I saw it. It was definitely something that I enjoyed and I felt was beautiful and I liked it. So three and a half stars, just as my own take, if you have any opportunity to take a look at the art book, that is a five-star art book, 100% worth the investment. Uh, so if that, if you're looking for something, check out that. Did, Chelsea, did you, I'm sorry, uh, did you, did you do a YouTube video? I for did. That book? And if you would like to go see okay. the, <laughs> the art book, I do a flip through. I so. thought you did. I wasn't sure. I'll include a link yeah. in the show notes. Yeah. So you can check out Chelsea's review of the art of the book of life. Her, one of her top art books, which is very awesome. So I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to rate this three and a half stars as well. Overall, I find this a very enjoyable movie, but it doesn't have a lot of meat to it that really makes me want to come back to it a lot. And I feel like, like I mentioned before, contrived is really the word that comes to mind for a lot of these pieces. Like the plot is contrived because of these two deities that are playing with humanity and that's fine. But then all of the different aspects of how everything plays together is is just a bit contrived. And so it just doesn't land a hundred percent for me. It's, it's very surface level for uh, the characters, how far and deep we get to know them. And we just go from scene to scene to scene very quickly and, uh, and off we go. And then it, it lands in a very expected place. And so while I do appreciate the theme and the Dia de los Muertos holiday and what it was able to explore in this, I feel like it could have gone a little bit further, which would have been cool and to really explore that more. But, you know, it is what it is. The love triangle just wasn't there for me. It was never believable because one character just was so far and out, like never an, an option in any way, shape or form. So with that, three and a half stars. All right. Let us know what your thoughts are. Be sure to go to rotoscopers.com slash 192 and leave your comments in the comment section there. And also before we jump into our voicemails, I asked a patron question and this was just barely a while ago. So I didn't get a ton of answers. I have one answer said, who is your favorite character in the book of life and why? And Kurt Jensen says, Chewy, I'm a huge lover and supporter of pet pigs, house trained, of course. 
and also La Muerte because she <laughs> looks like a gravesite but is a person, which I think is pretty swell. Yeah, La Muerte, I absolutely love her design. I didn't really comment on that enough, but I absolutely mm-hmm. agree with Kurt on this one. She is stunning, and I think I definitely did a sugar skull face um, of her back in the day because I think when we went to the premiere, they would they did face painting, and I thought pretty cool so i did that oh yeah and not the premiere excuse me when i went to the screening here at our local area um so anyways yes thank you patrons and now let's jump into our voicemails all right our first voicemail is from soul Horoscopers is a soul. So my thoughts on Book of Life, yes, it's mutually stunning, but I do find it quite offensive. And I'm not a person who gets easily offended, not at all. But this is the thing. I'm a Hispanic actress, and I've been told by agencies, please get rid of your accent. And then they go ahead and cast Channing Tatum, a white man, to play Hispanic role, and they make him do an accent. When there's literally millions of unemployed Hispanics that would love to be in a role that they could just be themselves instead we're told to get rid of our accents and then for a white man to go and do our accents i find it quite offensive and then the fact that the director did not do any research trips i get it he might know the culture but the rest of the animators and the people working in the film might not know that and when you're bringing a film like this to united states to a lot of people who have all these stereotypes ideas about the hispanic culture it's important to be as authentic as possible and as real that's why i love coco so much i also recommended watching in spanish because the music is 10 times better actually in spanish fun fact um especially <laughs> the last song but yeah <laughs> I do think it's very frustrating how people said that Coco was a rip of a book of life when the only thing they had in common was death, when there's literally a bajillion Christmas movies, but no one complains about that. <laughs> so yeah, these are my thoughts as a Hispanic <laughs> woman living in the United States. Thank you for Preach doing this episode. Girl. Bye. <laughs> I've always she has some soul. really really great points and i'm glad she sent in that voicemail because that is true it's kind of uh hypocritical where she's being asked to remove her accent and then they hire someone and say hey do can you do an accent uh yeah so i definitely can see why that is frustrating <laughs> for sure <laughs> for sure i think one thing and i mentioned this before too because it was just like uh, especially with channing tatum uh I think a lot of that had to do with the fact as, you know, uh, go back to the money in the fact, like why is Channing Tatum uh, anybody? I think it's just because they were trying to get it as much as the market here as they could. And in the fact that it was geared <laughs> to the gringo um, in general. And I, and I feel like that would have been um, if they would have just switched it and not had it been to the gringo and just had it like focus specifically on your their own culture i mean i I love the phrase that says the riches are in the niches and they probably were thinking oh well that'll never get as much money when in fact it will probably get a whole lot more as seen in coco uh because they focused on that um i would like to say though as a little bit of a um just as a, a a thing to soul specifically because i i know her and i love her and i just want to say girlfriend you have to just just keep on kicking butt because you really are kicking butt you're doing a great job at all of the things that you're doing and um just keep moving forward because you got as as long as you're moving forward you will continue you will continue to have an abundance mentality 
and abundance mentality leads to more abundance. So um, I, I appreciate what she had to say. All right. You can send us a voicemail for our future episodes. Just go to rotoscopers.com slash voicemails or give us a call at 406-646-6575. I will stay by you even when we fall. I will be the rock that holds you up and lifts you high so you stand tall. And I won't let you fall. Right, and we want to give a huge thank you to Chad for coming on to this episode for not only being a diamond patron, but for being such a huge animation fan and being able to spend our afternoon with him talking about this great movie. So thank you, Chad. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Any last words? <laughs> <laughs> what are your last words? <laughs> <laughs> That's what they all say. <laughs> Ah, this is why we love you, Chad. <laughs> I, I was actually, I was actually excited to watch this one again because I hadn't seen it since it first came out, right. which also means that I probably didn't like it as much as I probably would have if I would have wanted to see it again since 2014. But at the same time, I just, I have, I have good enough memories for it that I was like, I'm excited to jump back into that. So I was glad we were able to do it. Yeah, that's a good. What one. if we did um, Space Jam? Oh my God! Yeah, oh, sorry. We should. <laughs> Let's do Space Jam. I don't know if you have any affinity for Space Jam, but I grew up watching the oh, movie, so over and over again, right? Oh, yeah, so good. Yeah. Okay, so Chad has convinced us. Okay, so I'm gonna. All right, so our next movie is going to be a classic, one that is getting a sequel. It's going to be well, is it a sequel? Is it a remake? It's a whatever. We are going to be doing the 1995 classic Space Jam. Get ready to go back in time with Michael Jordan and the Looney Tunes because they are playing basketball. Okay, guys? So be sure to send in your voicemails at rotoscopers.com slash voicemails. And until next time, we are the Rotoscopers. Yes. Sorry. Hold on one sec. Chelsea. <laughs> I want to, I'll redo that. Redo my intro. Um, Animals, that, don't you just love them? They don't understand oh. the protocol. Like, hello, we're recording here. Oh, Zip I have it. a cat who is super vocal. In fact, I'm amazed <laughs> he's not talking right now. My but... dog, he's only really whines when he's in the car. He has like some sort of anxiety or if he knows that we're going somewhere, like we're going to go on a walk or something. But he, right as I was walking into the bedroom, he also decided to walk in and I was like, uh -uh, get out. I don't need any potential distractions going on here. And he was like bummed, but sorry, your little pup. I like your My Little Ponies and your collection back there. Your Ursula, Thanks. speaking of. <laughs> dude, dude, you have no okay, idea. I, I think I see three Ursulas. I see a Maleficent. And then, um, oh, what's her name? Uh, Rarity. And then two rarities. Do you have a Morgana back there? Do I what? Do you Morgana. have a Morgana back there? Oh, no, I wish I did. <laughs> I'm like, do they have Morgana dolls? I don't know, but I would love to own <laughs> Ursula's crazy sister. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
Ursula's crazy sister. I have got to give you guys props for even reviewing that one. I was cringing during that whole episode. I was like, I know. Oh, oh good times. And what might We need to do the Ariel's beginning one for sure. Oh, that was much, you know what? Much that better was experience. Cute. Yeah, it was. That, that one. They learned cute. their lessons. They did. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I have like three Ursulas back here. Uh, one was a gift from one of my best friends. Another was one I got when I went to Disney World. And then uh, this one here is actually from um, a specific Disney statue collection line. I can never say what it is. But I saw this and I was like, oh my gosh, I need it. This looks because she looks so fabulous. She know? does look fabulous. And uh, I mean, but I've always thought Ursula was gorgeous anyway. So I mean, she looks like she's wearing a fabulous gown. Like, oh, that's, yeah. It's like she's impressive. going to a gala or something. Yeah. Like, like I'm headed to Atlantica for. For anybody who does not know what Catch and Fire is, that little clip that you just heard, it's a clip from a movie that is one of our favorite movies which is honestly one of the reasons why we decided to make a podcast <laughs> was <laughs> the swan princess <laughs> which uh swan princess has kind of made its way back into the spotlight recently i not really on a national level but if you watch the bachelorette the bachelorette just started back up and the <laughs> Did I send this to you, Chelsea? I think I did. I will include yes, links did. to this in the show notes. But basically, The Bachelorette, this guy came up to her and, you know, it's a dating show. There's a bunch of guys and they're getting to know the lead and she picks which one she, she wants to date and eliminates them as they go. And this one guy, clearly a recruit to the show, right? Because it's a reality show. We know that there's people who they recruit who may not have been familiar with who this person is at all, but they're like, yeah, I'm up to going on a bunch of dates and seeing if this is the love of my life. Why not? And so they have this one-on-one -on -one time and they're talking and the guy says, yeah, well, you know, I really want to get to know you and I, I'm excited to get to know you because you're so beautiful. And, you know, I definitely that inspire, you know, I'm intrigued. Right. And she said, oh, well, is that it? <laughs> essentially, essentially, she just this one princess. Well, what else? Is beauty all that matters to <laughs> <Yes>. you? <laughs> no, but she goes so crazy and just well, what else? All the other guys are here for my drive and my intensity and how all these other I'm so entrepreneurial, blah blah blah. And he's like, uh, I I don't know. I haven't Googled you. I don't know anything about you. I just know that <laughs> I saw something in you and you're attractive and I want to get to know you more. And she through the biggest fit and she sent him home right then and there on the spot oh, which is gosh. just like i'm sorry that's what 99 percent of relationships that's how they start is hey there's something about you whether it's looks or personality but a lot of times it's looks and i like it and i want to <laughs> get to know you more and it turns out there's a lot more what else is there there's a lot more once you get past you know the skin beauty is skin deep sort of thing but i yes so people made the analogy of the two and they're it's seriously she is seriously odette it is no it's so funny <laughs> okay I, I saw it and i was just as as it's playing out i'm watching it and it's almost line for line of the swan princess <laughs> and i'm just like laughing yep. as i'm swan watching princess so in her life <laughs> amazing <laughs> You've been listening to the Animation Addicts podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe and be sure to leave us a five-star review. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts.
And if you want to help spread the word, be sure to share the podcast with your friends on social media. Just don't forget to tag us at Rotoscopers on Instagram and use the hashtag animation addicts. For all the links and full show notes for this episode, go to rotoscopers.com slash podcast. Now, if you still can't get enough for your animation fix, be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube and visit rotoscopers.com for more animation news, reviews, and interviews. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.